Hey everybody, this is your host, Matt Castellini, and welcome to Chicago Capital. We have a great episode lined up today, but before that, a word from our sponsors, World Business Chicago. As the city of Chicago's economic development organization, World Business Chicago drives inclusive growth and opportunity for our local tech, innovation, and startup ecosystem. They recently announced the 2022 Chicago Venture Summit, Future of Food, their new flagship conference to highlight why Chicago leads as a global capital for food innovation. Follow World Business Chicago on LinkedIn and Twitter for event details and other related news about our city's economic progress. Jess, thanks so much for hopping on Chicago Capital. This is an interview, I feel like a year in the making, and it's so great to have you on the show. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So I think it's it's best to always start off with, uh, you know, kind of a history of your career and how you ended up at Amplify. Sure. Um, I was a finance major, and so I didn't honestly start off really knowing what to do other than to go straight into banking. So that's what I did. Um, I worked in capital markets for, I guess, almost 10 years collectively. Um, my longest stint was at Merrill Lynch. So I was working with institutional investors that were trading futures and equities. I had a myriad of roles across um, operations, onboarding, front office sales, um, and then just decided that that was a kind of um, shrinking industry or like it was starting to be rid with a lot of regulation. It just wasn't as fun anymore, I guess. Um, so I started looking at ways to kind of pivot out. Um, my first move after that was to a trading technology company. So a SaaS company that made trading software. So still in the same um, trading and banking world, but uh, working at a SaaS company was vastly different with, you know, beer on tap and jeans, vastly different culture. Um, and then from there, I just decided I was kind of ready for a new challenge altogether. Um, and it was just through friends that I found out about an opportunity at a company called Trinet, which is outsourced HR or PEO. And I was um, specifically hired there to focus on building out venture capital and private equity as a channel sales strategy in the Midwest. So that was super fun. It was my first time working with venture capital or private equity firms. Um, and my first time really in outbound, like net new sales, all my prior roles had been more about relationship building and account expansion. And uh, I loved it and got to know a ton of investors in the Midwest and was ultimately recruited by a venture firm to join um, their team and lead business development, which is of course where we met and worked together. Um, so I was responsible there for deal flow sourcing, helping founders fundraise, helping founders with go-to-market strategy. And my, that experience, I guess, coupled with all the others is what inspired me to start Amplify. Yeah, no, I, I'd love to, to tap into, you know, sort of what is Amplify and, and the, you know, the, the catalyst for starting the company. It's definitely going to be something unique to the show. I don't think we've had anything like Amplify yet on the show, even though there seems to be kind of a, a pressing market demand for this type of service. So I would love to dig in and just talk listeners through, you know, what service you provide and, and the catalyst for the company. Yeah. 
Um, so it's a sales consulting firm, so it's services. Um, and I think the easiest way to think about it is, you know, me and my team are acting as a fractional CRO or fractional chief revenue officer to these companies. Um, so we're helping them with everything from sales strategy to, you know, true, truly tactical execution. So I really am an extension of their team or a member of their team, helping them hire, coach, train, um, helping them with technology, with, with sales operations. Um, I'm really like in there with the founder CEO, helping them grow the company. Um, it's very fun. And I guess just as far as like what led me to do it. Um, so my mom has been an entrepreneur for pretty much my whole life. She started her own company 40 years ago at 25, which if you think about, you know, the challenges of starting a company today, let alone as a 25 year old, let alone as a woman, uh, I can't believe she did that 40 years ago, <laughs> but still blows my mind. But I've grown up watching her run businesses and be independent for many years. And I've always had that in my, in my blood, as my mom says. Um, so I did know at some point I would do something entrepreneurial. And so it was always just a matter of like figuring out what that would be for me. And working at Manifold, working at the venture firm specifically, um, gave me so much insight into the challenges that these seed and series A companies were having with, with sales and revenue in particular. And we all know, if you're listening to this podcast, how important revenue is for a seed and series A company. Um, so I think what I was observing is that there's this, you know, at, at true seed stage, um, you don't quite have the revenue to hire like a really experienced salesperson. Um, so you're doing, it's the found, it's founder led sales. The CEO is doing most of the closing and they're good at it because they're passionate about their product or service and they built it but they're not classically trained sales folks. And so they're not always great at um, knowing how to create a repeatable process out of their success or knowing how to build a sales infrastructure um, and team. And that's not by any, like for any reason other than they've just never done it before. Like, you know, many of them, I mean, some of course do come from a sales background. Um, and I guess even if they do come from a sales background and know what to do, then there's a capacity issue with just time, like with, with everything else that they have to shoulder as well. Um, so it's just like this chicken and egg, if you will, of, okay, we, we don't quite have enough revenue for me to afford a full-time sales leader. I don't really have the time to do it, or I don't know how to do it yet. I need to make revenue to raise my next round to hire that person. Um, and so they're just kind of left in this weird tweener stage, I think. Um, a lot of them. And if they do hire like more of a junior person, that's an individual contributor. Sometimes um, if that's, it just takes a very unique person, I think, to come into a seed stage company where there's not a sales playbook and there's not infrastructure already built and, and be successful. So I think, you know, they don't, they hire these junior people and maybe they don't set them up for them for the most success because there isn't again, the infrastructure, the playbook there. Um, and so a lot of times, you know, they end up, I guess, spending time and money and not having a lot of results. So I was just kind of watching this and I was like, you know, I think there's room. We've seen, we've all seen the rise of like the fractional CFO in the startup space. And I just had the idea, like, I think there could be a fractional CRO too. Um, 
and really just come in and help them again, like build that infrastructure, set them up for when they do hire the individual contributors, those people are set up for success and it'll just lead to a better outcome. So is, is the role of Amplify kind of peeling it back a bit further and like unpacking uh, the day-to-day, I guess, of, mm-hmm. of your responsibilities? Are, are you coming in and literally getting on the phone with potential clients of the seed and Series A SaaS businesses and, and trying to close deals or trying to, you know, you know open up different kind of um, customer opportunities? Or are you really looking at their holistic sales process and providing more of a kind of hands-off consulting almost consigliere type type service? Is it a bit of both? What's kind of the the sort of day-to-day services that you know, you're providing? It really is a bit of both, but I would say I'm much more of the revenue, like the true revenue leader. So I'm helping them, again, set up the tech stack, set up the processes, document what their value prop is, document their competitive positioning, so and helping them interview, hire, train those individual contributors. And that does ultimately mean that I get on the phone with their prospective customers as well. But that's not like the bulk of my day is selling for them. The bulk of my day is building their sales function and team and coaching their team. Um, and because I'm, I love sales and I have a network, I do naturally use that to open doors for my customers. But yeah, I would say, again, much more like of a leadership role than um, a player individual contributor. And when do you think kind of is the best time for a seed or a series A company to like think about a CRO? Like when is the moment, because let's say you raise a seed round and you've got like, you know, 18 to 24 months of runway, hopefully, uh, and you have to get to a certain level, you know, maybe a million in ARR by that series A stage. How soon after that raise should you be thinking about it before the raise? Tactically, when's the sort of time that let's say a seed founder should be thinking about a CRO or Series A, either one? Mm -hmm. I think when I, in general, like the way I was thinking about this at first, which as you know, I just started this company in February. So I am still learning and pivoting every day myself. Um, I joke with my clients that I'm right there with them. (laughs) Um, But when I first started this company, my thought was that I wanted to work with companies that had already raised a seed where there was, you know, at least 500K in revenue, roughly 20 clients, like there's a there there, there's, they're almost to product market fit, or they are a product market fit. And I'm just coming in to professionalize them and take them to the next level, like get them to series A basically. And then I think when you raise a series A, you do want to bring in maybe not a CRO by title, I think it still might be a little bit premature for that, but a strong VP of sales slash a strong um, revenue leader that can grow into your CRO. I think that's series A is the time that um, you're mature enough and there's enough work for their, for that person to do like 40 hours a week. Like right now, none of my clients need me 40 hours a week. So that's why this is a great model for them too. It's, it's giving them the lift and the sophistication they need, but um, again, they don't need it full time. And so let's say you get hired or even from your experiences in VC, your experiences with your first couple of customers, what are some of the kind of biggest challenges or, or hurdles that you find these companies face, you know, on, on your first day with them? What are the kind of the most common kind of biggest issues that need resolving? Um, no, I guess 
number one organization <laughs> for most of them. A couple of them are really, really organized, but it's like they all have great ideas um, about their go-to-market strategy and about how to position things or talk tracks, but they haven't had the time. And I mean, I get it now myself running a business. There's a lot you have. I mean, again, these CEOs, founders, I know you know this too, Matt, but like they're, they're wearing so many hats. They're fundraising, they're running payroll, they're <laughs> selling. Um, but they haven't, many of them just haven't taken the time to get organized and, and put literal pen to paper and, you know, build out um, a playbook again, or like a reference guide um, for employees to use. So that's one of the first things I do with them is just let's get organized. Uh, I use analogies all the time, but I say I like to clean my kitchen before I cook. So we got to get things in order. Um, not embracing enough internal tech. So I have come into a couple companies where they don't have a CRM at all. Um, and so that's one of the first things I look to implement or they have a CRM, but they're not using it to its fullest capabilities or it's the data in there is not good data. And so, you know, they can't use it effectively. Um, so we spend a lot of time like cleaning up their technology, cleaning up their data, removing friction from their operational processes. So where can we create a template, automate something through a Zapier? What can we do to just like save brain space and make things run faster um, since we are all working with limited resources. A couple other things like not being a narrow, narrow enough in their focus. So I think especially when you're early, when you're an earlier stage business, you, you, your ideal customer profile or your ICP should not be all enterprise. Like that's, that's too broad. So I, th I think something else I help them do is like, Let's look at your existing customers. Let's see where you've had success specifically within these, you know, maybe I look at it and I'm like, okay, within these three industries, this is where all your logos are. This is where we should double down our efforts. Or yes, you sell into enterprises and that's where you have success, but specifically you seem to have success with companies that have more than 250 million in revenue by way of example. Um, so I really just help them like focus in on where they've had success so that we can continue to gain momentum there. And then I think you open up and you, you know, you again, broaden your horizons, but I think it's really important at the beginning to build momentum in a, in a narrower um, focus. So that's something we do. Um, uh, hiring the wrong people. And again, that's just tough and everybody makes hiring mistakes, but I think like that's slowed a lot of people down. So I try to come in and assess like, is this someone that's still great for the team, but maybe better at account management than sales, or is this just not the right person period? Like, um, and helping them think about who the right people are to hire, like from a, um, from a quality and experience standpoint. Um, and then I think the last thing is like, they just don't know what they don't know. And if they've, again, never, I, I, again, I joke about it being like classically trained in sales, but if they've never been a salesperson in a quota carrying role and worked somewhere where there is a defined sales process, they just don't know what that should look like. And so sometimes it's just educating them on what that, what that is. And they're all very receptive and excited about it. 
I, I just have to say, I think the only other person on the podcast who's used the term classically trained is Dan Knight. So <laughs> I probably picked it up from him through osmosis. <laughs> I picked it up from him too. So, so I think we just got to give him a shout out right there because I think that's a Dan Knightism <laughs> that we just got to call out for the guy. I um, love it. No, that's amazing. Um, no. Okay. That's super helpful. And I think it's like really interesting because I know founders listen to the show and many of them kind of probably are experiencing these exact problems that, that you're describing. Um, I think also another obvious, like very topical um, issue right now is just this current market condition we're in. So do you think that, you know, this, this apparent downturn we're going through is bolstering for the demand for something like Amplify? Um, do you think it's are you seeing more kind of need for something like this now that, um, you know, just, you know, cash is not going to be as easily available and funding is going to be harder to get. And just in general, you know, maybe sales cycles get longer and more challenging, et cetera, et cetera. Just kind of curious your thoughts on kind of the environment, how that impacts Amplify. Yeah, I think there's absolutely going to be continued demand for this. I've been blown away by the demand, to be honest. Um, and even, the applicability beyond what I originally thought my target customer was. Um, and I do think the economy will only increase that, right? Like, cause people are going to be under more pressure to get creative on how they continue to grow their revenue, but doing that in a very uh, cash conscious way. And so we are a cash conscious solution. Um, and I think it's easy to, in general, it's easy for these founders and CEOs to rationalize themselves into their board because I am helping them make money. And so it's like, it's a little bit easier to rationalize the expense. Um, and, you know, my goal is, you know, you mentioned earlier, like leveraging my network and helping them with sales. Like my goal is to pay for myself and then some too by, you know, it, if I can make a few phone calls and lever my network and close even one deal, like then I've paid for myself for them. Um, and so I think people get on board with that too, that, you know, I, I help not just help them make money, but I actually open up my network and, and help them make money that way. Um, and I think also, I don't know if every chief revenue officer would, would be this way, but because I come from VC, I think that that provides a really, or I did, you know, work at a VC. I think that provides a really, valuable lens um, to my founders too, because I'm helping them think about not just growing their revenue, but doing it, it with the metrics that I know they're going to need for a series A in mind. <laughs> and I'm constantly reminding them of that, you know, so I'm constantly looking at them and saying, okay, so you want to raise an A in six months, we need to get, you know, make sure your renewals are tight, we shouldn't have customer churn. Um, we need to make sure month over month growth is at least 20% and it's consistent. These are the things we need to do to do that. Um, we need to show VCs that we have figured out the recipe, as I say, and meaning that like our sales conversions are consistent. We know, we know the formula to win. And now all we have to do is repeat it. Um, so like I'm constantly coaching them with, with their long-term fundraising in mind as well. And also, too, is there a bit of help that you can provide and visibility into like the efficiency part of things, you know, like 
helping these startups, you know, all, you know, not all revenue growth is created equal, obviously. Right. So is like another area that you kind of can help out with is like, this is how much maybe you should be spending. This is the payback period you should be targeting, you know, kind of some of those, those, you know, more, you know, back end. Yes. I am super thrifty. Um, <laughs> when it, and I, I guess I've just always had to be that way in a lot of roles I've had. Um, so I am very hands-on when it comes to that, to your point, like I'm looking at, okay, we're investing five grand a month on this. If we're not seeing five times the return, you know, on a marketing or, um, you know, sponsorship type expense, I'm like, then this shouldn't be there. Um, or let's look at this other solution or this technology you have does the same thing as this other one. We don't need to be paying for both. Like, I'm just constantly looking at like, where can we, you know, again, I think spend money when it saves you time and when it's smart, but, I'm constantly keeping an eye on like where we can cut costs or get a better deal. And to your point, like thinking about like customer acquisition costs um, and just like long-term burn versus growth. Yeah. And I think that's also too an area where in the next 12 to 18 months, like I feel like that's going to be such a critical component where maybe it wasn't, you know, in the past few years. So to me, it seems like a service like this that can just help you kind of figure out the gaps and just like so many things you described, just create a more efficient process, like it has to be something that even more and more startups are going to wake up to. Yeah, totally. I think, I think you also mentioned too, and I, I wanted to, to get to this as well, um, your, your experience as a VC and and how that helps you with these startups kind of taking a look um, from an outside perspective as somebody who might want to fundraise into this, you, you kind of know where they're supposed to be uh, by the time they get to these different rounds or what questions VCs are going to ask and what they're going to look for. Um, I think there's a lot of people who listen to the show who want to get into VC, just starting out in VC. Um, and so I, I'd love for you to talk about that relationship between sales and venture capital you know, how much of venture capital, how much of your role was really a sales job at the end of the day? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think, yeah, VC is sales. <laughs> so much of it. Um, and I mean, my role at Manifold was business development too. So like it was more oriented to that even, I guess, more than maybe some investors. But, you know, I do think, yeah, VC is all about sales, right? I mean, it's about as the as the investor, you're selling yourself to the founder as much as the founder selling themselves to you, um, especially as the, the environment has continued to get more and more competitive. Um, and as a VC too, you're selling yourself to other funds because obviously you want them to think about you when they're leading around and um, you, you wanna come in on it or when they get a deal that's not a fit for them, you, know, you wanna be that first person they pass it off to. So, it's, it's so much about selling yourself um, and your brand, your reputation, your, um, your thoughtfulness around relationship building and articulating your ICP, right? Like the, your investment thesis. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, it's all sales. Yeah, I mean, it was such a interesting kind of getting to be, you know, working with you too, was like watching how when you came in, immediately kind of institutionalizing the ways we tracked deals in the pipeline, like pipeline mm -hmm. filtering at different stages, touch points, like all that stuff that just didn't exist before. It doesn't exist at a lot of VC firms. Um, and, and I just have to imagine like your experience in sales prior to VC kind of gave you that sort of 
uh, unique mindset, which uh, I think just goes to show like there's a lot of different paths to VC, but I think a sales background uh, clearly can help uh, from day one, which is what you know I saw at least working with you. Well, thank you. That means a lot. But yes, I agree. I like totally came in and I was like, oh, this is just top of funnel to check. <laughs> like this is a sales process. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, again, on the topic of kind of breaking into venture, um, you, you wrote a recent blog post uh, about using kind of the sales playbook uh, to break into venture capital. Just would love if you could kind of touch on that. Wanted to give it a shout out. I thought it was really interesting. And again, for our audience, it's it's very topical. So, um, you know, just as a plug, I guess, for that blog post, if you could kind of, you know, just discuss it a little bit. For sure. Um, yeah. So I, I've been asked because I'm not your traditional VC background at all, uh, as you know, Matt, but, and maybe folks picked up on that already, but, you know, I didn't come from investment banking. I came from futures <laughs> and I didn't, I wasn't an operator before this. I didn't, you know, get my MBA. So I definitely wasn't your cookie cutter or, I mean, I think VC is changing now and there's a lot of folks, which I think is a good thing that don't come from the historically cookie cutter background. But, um, yeah, the genesis of writing that article was being just asked so many times by folks that are trying to break in, like, how did you do it? Like, you're not the normal mold. We don't, we don't get it. Um, so, and I, to be honest, like it wasn't something I necessarily knew I wanted until I learned more about the industry either. But I, when I took the role at Trinet and I was selling into venture capital, I just became fascinated by all these startups and I'm constantly inspired by these founders that are tackling the world's hardest problems. Um, and they're doing it with a smile. Uh, one of my founders I work with Fern says, you know, chewing glass with a smile on your face or whatever. Um, so I think I was just fascinated by this world. And so I, that's the number one point in my blog post is knowing your customer. So I just researched, 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 which is, which is what you have to do in sales too, right? Is just get to know who are the players, what's the terminology, what are the trends, uh, how can I stay up to speed on current news? Um, so I was just super curious, really resourceful, and, um, and again, organized. So like know your customer is number one. Um, so in this case, if you're trying to work in venture, like get to know the industry for real. And the internet is a beautiful thing nowadays. Um, Number two, be solution oriented and value add. And I do really believe this in sales too. So not coming into any sale with a transactional mindset, um, but really just coming in and figuring out truly is this prospect qualified um, to be your client? And if they're not, then just figure that out early and be honest because it's in both of your interest not to bring on a customer that's not ultimately going to be a good fit and going to be happy. Um, so I think just like, being, I guess, more inquisitive in my um, process with getting to know VCs and founders made maybe me a little bit more approachable than just like trying to sell them something. Um, and then being value additive. So I think like before you ask anybody for anything, like give them, you know, five or six things. So I just constantly was um, trying to be helpful. And I would try to do that in a very, I guess, um, strategic way. And that a lot of times I was able to broker introductions and I would be adding value to two people at the same time. And so it was like a two for one. Those are the best. Um, so 
I guess just where you can, like, yeah, I guess my second point is just like, be very inquisitive, try to help people solve their problems, even if you're not the solution yourself or your, your product and be super helpful. And they're going to remember that and you're going to build equity with people. Um, and it'll pay off at some point. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. And I also feel like you on your LinkedIn, like, I think it still says like power connector, which is exactly what I think of when I think of you. And it's actually crazy to anyone who's listening, who's worked with Jess, you know, this is true, but like, you'll ask her for something at like 8 PM the night before, and you'll get a response like 7 AM on the dot. And like an introduction, if you're looking for, it's like a quick turnaround. Is that because you're really good at that. That's something I personally struggle with. Is that something that you've just always had since like you can remember? Is it something that your experience at Trinet, like literally being in sales taught you? Is it something you've had a muscle you've had to just like build yourself over the years? Somebody who's like trying to get better at this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because it's it's very impressive. And I know it's a very like a characteristic that everybody calls out is like a true strength. Uh, so so just curious, like how that how, how did you develop that? Yeah, I def I I think I've, you know, always tried to help people and be value additive, but I definitely think I doubled down on that and built a strategy around it when I was at Trinet in outbound sales for the first time. Um, because again, before it, I'd always been in account expansion roles, which are just so different. And I was selling HR. It's not sexy. Um, <laughs> like it's not what people are like, you know, jumping up and down to talk about. And I didn't know anybody in VC and I was trying to build a brand and um, like credibility in the industry. And so I was just like, okay, a way to do that is just going to be for me to add value in any way I can. That's not trying it. And then naturally, like they're going to think of me for that when it, when it makes sense. Um, which I, another one of my little sayings is like sales is all trust and timing. So if you can build trust with people, then when the time is right, they will think of you and, you know, it'll work out. But yeah, I mean, I definitely like spent a ton of time, I guess, mapping that out. And now that I've done it, to your point, it's kind of like muscle memory and I don't have to think about it. It just like kind of happens. But I mean, I'm very jealous. <laughs> I, I just assumed it was something you've just been doing since like high school. Like a teacher emails you, you're like, bam, right back at you with an answer. I don't know. I just figured it was like innate. But uh, no, that's really interesting. I think it's like, again, like it goes to show the different like VC. I just it's it's a it's a weird, weird career. Like I think it requires a lot of different muscles. And like it seems like if somebody can build up one of those muscles, which is kind of that sales process, it's it's all the more valuable once you actually get in the role. And then clearly like you found a really really interesting niche that I, this is maybe not the place for the conversation, but like, I think what you're providing is really hands-on, like go-to-market consulting services. And I think that that's something that like a lot of VCs today, like tout, you know, they say they have people on, you know, within the firm, like, why shouldn't Mm -hmm. you take our check? Because we have like people with this strategy, any thoughts in the future of like turning Amplify into maybe a VC and like investing out of it, just because I think from a value add perspective, like, and you don't have to answer the question, but I'm just throwing it out there in the universe. So if it does happen, I can point to the show and say, I called it. <laughs> so it's funny that you say that. Cause that is a thought I had, um, from the very beginning. And I don't know when or what that will look like, but I intentionally named it amplify. Like when I was thinking about the names for the company, I wanted it to be something broad enough that if I wanted to grow into that, I could. And so that is, that is a thought I've had, but 
when and where, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like that. Leaving it open. If it happens, when it happens, got it has to be announced on the show, though. That's the only stipulation. Okay. There you go. <laughs> right. um, lastly, and one of the last questions I, I definitely wanted to hit on was, um, I know you added to the team recently. What was, as somebody who just started their own business and literally been, I assume, like drinking through a fire hose for the past like six months, what was the process like hiring? How did that, how did that go? And, and, you know, where did you, where did you find the new teammate? Um, so I got so lucky. I, I fully realized that because it's a very tough hiring environment period. And I'm a team of one trying to, you know, get somebody to join, um, to jump in the deep end with me. So I recognized that it was a, a tall hill to climb. And I just got, I think, I feel like I got really lucky, but I was at dinner with a friend telling her that I was, um, thinking I was probably going to need to hire in the next 30 to 60 days. And she's like, I literally have the perfect person for you. I'm three-way texting you right now. And I got lucky enough to hire Katie Couric Media's former assistant. And she is amazing um, from a cultural perspective and from a skill set perspective. So I, I feel like I just got really lucky. Yep. Shout, shout out, Kat. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the team. Welcome to the team. Um, no, uh, Jess, I want to thank you so much for hopping on the show and uh, talking all about Amplify. If people want to find Amplify, follow Amplify, follow your story, uh, where where can they go? Where should they go? Yeah. Um, so we're on LinkedIn. We're getting more and more active all the time. So you can find us there. Um, I don't have any other like formal you know, newsletters or anything yet, but coming soon. So just follow me, connect with me. And um, yeah. Awesome. Jess, thank you so much for hopping on Chicago Capital. Can't wait to have you back again in the future. Thank you, Matt. I really appreciate it.